Let's turn to, instead of history, today, and Preet Banerjee, personal finance commentator, joins us. Uh, you can learn more about Preet at his website, Money Gaps, but uh, it's time for the morning brief. Good morning, Preet. Good morning. Your grandmother sounded cool. <laughs> My grandma was cool. I mean, her name was Ethel, so. <laughs> and born and raised in uh, Manitoulin as well. So listen, you are on the other side of the ocean, I think, So, mm -hmm. but, but we're hearing that this smoke is actually affecting uh, Portugal and parts of Europe as well. Are you noticing anything where you are? Uh, not this round yet, but I guess the worst is uh, yet to come. But a few weeks ago, uh, it felt like, and I don't know if it was just psychosomatic, but, you know, I felt that feeling in the back of your throat, that burning sensation yeah. when you're at a campfire. It did feel it. So if it's the same, you know, crossing an ocean is a heck of a thing for, for smoke. It tells you just how much of a problem it is. So not yet, but I was in Toronto just after the peak of it, and God, that was awful. So Olivia Chow is the newly elected mayor, and she's going to have to confront a lot of stuff, including the fact that we are in a budget hole. And yesterday, she more or less admitted, yeah, we're in a budget hole. But what do you see as the future of uh, finance in Toronto? Well, based on her platform, I guess that pretends uh, an increase in some costs uh, as opposed to more cuts. Um, again, she's been more progressive and, and talked about big plans for the city, and those plans come with costs. So, you know, the idea that, um, you know, uh, I think the headline said uh, Chow concedes Toronto's in a budget pinch. I don't think someone needs to concede, and, and I don't think that was actually what she said. It is a known fact that Toronto's budget is facing some serious pressure and has been for a while. So no matter who was going to be taking the helm, they would be saddled with this very, very big problem to the point that the last budget presentation was basically a centerpiece around, we can't do this alone. We need money from the feds and the province because this just cannot work. It tells you how much of, of, of an overhang this is going to be. Yeah, I, I just, you know, I know everybody tried to frighten everybody about raising taxes, and Olivia Chow was elected nonetheless. And I think it's because most people understand, Preet, that, you know, we there is no other alternative, either cut services or raise taxes. Yeah, and I think that, you know, people that would be trying to characterize this as, ah, look, you know, this is the agenda all along. It'd be hard to see a world where raising taxes wasn't going to be part of a solution, no matter who was going to be mayor. Okay, so what do you make? You are a personal finance commentator of a story that we sent you this morning where people are arranging for mortgages that can run as long as 60, 70, or even 90 years. And I guess it kind of informs a story. Like my brother lives in Switzerland, where effectively you never actually pay for a house. You, you mortgage it and you pay the mortgage until you die and then somebody buys it out. Yeah, so around the world, these intergenerational mortgages are a thing. I think in Japan, a 100-year mortgage is not... Um not unusual. However, that being said, people, just to be clear, people are not going to a bank and arranging for a 60, 70, or 90-year mortgage. Right. This is a result of being in a variable rate mortgage when interest rates were super, super low. And having a mortgage, a variable rate mortgage, there's two types. One where the payment increases or decreases along with interest rates, and another one where the payment stays the same, even though interest rates go up and down. But if interest rates go up, then your amortization effectively increases. And so this is what it's referring to. And because interest rates have gone up so much for these people and their payments have not changed, it changes the length of the mortgage. And it's extended from the original 25 years to, in some cases, 90 years plus. Now, 
that being said, those people are probably thinking, okay, well, I'm paying the same amount that I always have been. That's okay. But they're super worried about the end of their term because what happens at the end of the term is you then have to readjust the payment so that you go back to your original amortization, which at the end of your first five-year term would then be 20 years, which means if you had you know, bought a new house uh, in the last couple of years, maybe you have a mortgage of 800000 given that the average house price is over a million then your payment could go up from you know 3500 to almost 5500 so you're looking at in those cases an increase down the road of a couple thousand dollars per month so this is a big big problem okay but I, I'm, i'd love for you to elaborate on that because i would think that having enormous amounts of capital in a house that can't be cashed out until you sell it or die is not necessarily the best scenario uh, no, it's not. And we don't know what house prices are going to do as well. It's possible that some recent owners end up being what's called underwater, where they owe more money than uh, the, uh, the house is worth. But I think what the really sad part of this is, is that you've had a bunch of people who, you know, were very serious about trying to become homeowners and have lived with all this pressure from friends, family, society, that you have to be a homeowner to be successful. And so they scrimped and they saved these big down payments that are required, stretching their monthly budgets to get into these big mortgages, and they effectively have turned into renters. And so I don't think they ever signed up for that. And so the mental stress of all that and the financial stress is a big problem. I think lenders are probably going to try and figure out a way to deal with that. Uh, restructuring is always uh, an option as well. But it tells us about the risk of unbridled, you know, enthusiasm for home ownership has been a problem and it's coming to roost. The parents of a Toronto rooftopper, and for the record, that is somebody who stunts at extreme heights and takes pictures for social media and shoots video for social media. Parents of that rooftopper are issuing a warning after their son fell 20 stories to his death. Yeah, and I don't know if, you know, I feel for them, of course, it's a tragic situation for them. I don't know if we need to tell people about the effects of gravity and how it can be dangerous. Uh, and I'm sorry to sort of, you know, make light of that. But what I yeah, think no, is the real takeaway. something stupid. Yeah, absolutely. What I think the real takeaway is, would rooftopping or bus surfing or riding on the tops of elevators inside the shafts, would any of that stuff exist if we didn't have social media? And the answer is no, not to the extent that it exists today. So that is the problem, the the manipulation, the, the, the toxic, toxic impact of social media is something that I think we're behind when it comes to policy. And I know that social media literacy is becoming a thing in school curricula where people are teaching things like, you know, what's disinformation, deep faking, hurting behavior, and how seeing people's highlight reels impacts how you feel about yourself. These are all really, really big problems that we're behind the curve on. Thank you, sir. Good to have you this morning. Thank you, John. That is Preet Banerjee. If you like what you heard, you can learn more about Preet. He has a website called Money Gaps.